the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. TBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply the portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. But Mordecai was so concerned about Esther becoming queen that verse 11 tells us, And every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. You know what we could say? The guy's a worrywart. He's biting his nails. He's walking back and forth. And he's wondering what's going on inside there. He is nervously pacing the floor back and forth. He's not resting in God. He's not trusting in God's sovereignty. He's not interested, in fact, in God at all. He thinks he knows what's best. And in spite of his sin, God is going to use him. Do you ever find yourself wishing that God would step into a situation in your life with some kind of fantastic miracle? Well, the truth is that God is already working things out through everyday decisions and common, even mundane events. It is much less conspicuous than grand, showy miracles, but it is no less amazing in the end. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Steve Kreloff. Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For decades now, his careful study and faithful teaching of God's Word has strengthened and challenged believers in all walks of life. A few days ago, we began a study of the Old Testament book of Esther. It's an exciting story with a dramatic plot. But even more importantly, it is a record of God's supervision of history. In today's broadcast, Pastor Steve will be completing his introduction to this unique book of the Bible. Let's join the study now. But people like Esther and like Mordecai, and we're not just isolating them. The majority of Jewish people who stayed should not have stayed. Many had gone back. Not most, though. Most stayed. And those who stayed applauded those who returned. And they said, isn't it wonderful that they've gone back to to Jerusalem to rebuild the cities of Judah and the temple at Jerusalem? But we're not going to go. Why wouldn't they go? Well, we love it here. It's convenient here. We're treated well here. We've got plenty in Persia. Why would we want to go back in a pioneering ministry? Why should we return to the, for the, to the leanness of Judea, Judah and Jerusalem? Well, we've got the plenty out here in, in Persia. We're taken care of. And they stayed away from Jerusalem, Israel, Judea. And yet that was the place of unique blessing and privilege. Do you want to know how the Jewish people who were believing Obedient people felt about it. Psalm 137, you need to turn there. It's one of my favorite psalms. It 
I, I never read it, but that I can sense the anguish of the people of, of Israel. The absolute anguish with being in captivity. Now, this should have been the attitude of Esther and Mordecai and the other Jews. But after a period of time, they just got so satisfied and so fat in the land, spiritually speaking. And they just loved it there. But here's how they should have felt. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. When we remembered Zion, we wept. We sat down, we wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem, when we remembered the temple and and prayer and sacrament. We just wept. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They said, sing. We've heard about you Jews and you sing. Sing us songs about Zion. How can we sing? How can we sing? Music and song is the expression of a spirit-filled heart, a heart that's rejoicing. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now watch this. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Well, according to this, Esther and Mordecai should have had their right hands forget their skills and their tongues should have stuck to the roof of their mouths. That's how they should have felt. That should have been their attitude. Anything to go back to Israel, but they didn't go back. They stayed. They were very content to stay in Persia. Even though God said, get up and get out, they had grown comfortable. And their burden wasn't for God's program to continue in the land of Israel. And you must understand that. It's not just that they had no concern to get back in a pioneering work. They weren't concerned for the program of God. To reject Jerusalem with its temple and its sacrificial system and the law being in effect was in essence to to turn their backs on God. It was to say we're not interested in the divine program continuing. We thank it. We like it this way. Thank you, Lord, but no thanks. We're very content. Now watch this. What we're saying is that Esther and Mordecai and the other Jews in Persia no longer identified themselves. And that's the key word, identify themselves with God's program for Israel. They refuse to identify themselves with God's program for Israel. And folks, that's the reason that God's name isn't mentioned once in this book. Because God would not identify his name and attach it with those Jews who refuse to identify themselves with his revealed program for Israel. Let me say that again. God's name is not mentioned at all because God refuses to identify himself and attach his name with those Jews who refuse to identify themselves with his revealed program. But in his providence, he will watch over them. And in keeping with his faithfulness and his promises to Israel, he will not abandon them. He will protect them, even if he won't identify with them. Even if he won't attach his name to them, he will preserve them, even if his name will not be bound up with theirs. We need to see this in scripture, that God promises never to abandon Israel, but always to preserve her. If you turn to Jeremiah 31, please. And you will see in just a few moments how it all applies to the Christian today. 
This is not ancient history, and we leave it at that. This is truth for us today, but we have to show you the ancient history. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 37. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it... Its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, that is the sun, the moon, the stars, if it departs from me, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease. If the sun doesn't shine somewhere, if it never shines again, then Israel will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. If you could ever measure the heavens, then you can say that God will cast away Israel. If the stars cease to exist and the moon ceases to exist and the sun ceases to exist, then God will cast off Israel. Obviously, what God is saying is he will never abandon his people. Never. We turn to Leviticus 26. This is so important and yet so neglected. Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 27, God is telling them about, if you obey me, I'll do this. And then he says, yet if in spite of this, you do not obey me, verse 27, but act with hostility against me. If, if you don't obey me and you act with hatred against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times for your sins. Further, you shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you shall eat. And there were times in Israel's history where they did eat human flesh. I then will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and heap your remains on the remains of your idols, for my soul shall abhor you. I will lay waste your cities as well and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your soothing aromas, and I will make the land desolate so that your enemies will settle in it, shall be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. Horrible picture, but don't don't stop there. You need to look at verse 44 and 45. Yet in spite, and God goes on to say what horrible atrocities are going to befall the children of Israel if they turn their backs and disobey him. Yet, verse 44, in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will remember for them the covenant with their, with, with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. In other words, God is saying, in spite of all that they do, I will not abandon them. In spite of the horrible way they've treated me, I will not forget them. And what he's, what he's saying is this. He is faithful even when they are unfaithful. If you don't understand this, then you will not understand the book of Esther. There are a lot who have come to the book of Esther and have, and have done absolutely nonsense with the book. They have made it an allegory. They have, they have looked at the book and said, well, it's really about the church and we've got to see the spiritual truth here. And this, they have missed the point. I don't say that arrogantly, sitting in judgment upon them, but that 
is to miss the point of the book of Esther. Martin Luther looked at this book and he observed, like many others had, that it mentions a Persian king about 200 times in 167 verses and doesn't mention God once. And here's what Luther supposedly concluded. I quote, I am so great an enemy to the second book of Maccabees and to Esther that I wish they had not come to us at all, for they have too many heathen unnaturalities. Luther missed the message. Missed the message completely. But you don't need to. You don't need to miss this message. The message is this. God is faithful to his word. God keeps his promises. He will preserve Israel even if they are unfaithful to him. Even if they turn their backs on him, he will preserve his ancient people. Now, having said all of that, why is it important for us to know? Why is it so vital for us as 20th century Christians to understand the book of Esther? few reasons. Number one. We need to understand Esther so that we understand the faithfulness of God for us today. You see, if God doesn't keep his word to Israel, then what assurance do you have that he will keep his word to you? If God couldn't keep his word to his ancient people, then what guarantee do you have that he'll keep his word to his, shall we say, New Testament people? Yesterday, those of us who were at the Friends of Israel banquet, we were reminded about the verse, I believe it's in Isaiah, where God says, Israel is my glory. And Marv Rosenthal reminded us that what that means is that if you want to understand God's attributes, then look at the way he deals with Israel. If you want to know how holy God is and see his holy dealings with Israel, if you want to understand God's faithfulness, then see God's faithful dealings with Israel. If you want to understand God's mercy and grace, then see how he has dealt mercifully and graciously with Israel. Israel is my glory. So if you want to understand the the very nature and heart of God, then understand how he deals with Israel. You'll understand, maybe not the exact program for the church, but you'll understand the attributes of God in which he's still dealing with the church. And specifically, you'll understand God's faithfulness. Great, great truth. He keeps his word. We stand, as we sang, we stand on the promises of God. Secondly, we need to understand what God is doing in Israel today. You say, how how does this book tell us what God is doing in Israel today? I really think there's a great parallel between the Jews of Esther's time and the Jews today. The nation of Israel today consists of many Mordecais and many Esthers. Courageous, zealous Jews. Many Jews around the world. They don't even live in the land, and and yet they would lay down their life for Israel. I have a cousin, like an uncle to me, my dad's cousin. I kid you not. In one weekend, he can raise and has raised over a million dollars for the state of Israel. There are many like him all around our nation who would do anything for Israel. No sacrifice is too great. He has no problem going up to someone and saying, look, you have enough money. Give 100000 to the state of Israel. They need it. How much can I sign you up for? Okay, million dollars in one weekend. Just one weekend. Courageous, zealous Jews, they would lay down their life for the nation of Israel, but they are unregenerate. They don't know the Lord Jesus. They have rejected him. And yet, in the providence of God, God has preserved that tiny nation that by all 
reasonable calculation should have been wiped off the face of the earth back in 1948. There's no human explanation for Israel being in existence. None. And yet God has preserved them. And that is the same message that's in Esther. If you want to understand what God is doing in Israel today, look at the book of Esther. God is preserving his people. He is preserving them in order to be faithful to his prophetic word. Bible prophecy centers around that tiny nation of Israel. It must be in existence when the Messiah comes, because the Messiah comes to deliver Israel out of out of. The Redeemer shall come out of Zion, and he will deliver his people. There must be a literal Israel for a literal second coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand what God is doing in Israel today. We understand that in spite of the Middle East tension, the Soviet oppression, Hitler in the 1930s and 40s, that he that keepeth Israel still does not sleep or slumber. Very important. Very important. So we understand the faithfulness of God through Esther. We understand what God is doing in Israel today. And thirdly, we understand that God's hand is involved in every area of life. If there's one thing that that Esther teaches that applies to us today is that there are no accidents in the Christian life. Without violating man's will, without interrupting the ordinary ongoing of human affairs, God moves behind the scenes to bring about the good pleasure of his will. That's that's the message. That's what we've got to see. All of these things in that. What it means is that God's in control of your life. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fear. You don't need to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. You see, that's what makes the Christian life so exciting, so thrilling. He's leading and he's directing it through the ordinary events to accomplish his sovereign plan. It's not the miraculous that's that's so exciting. It's that God takes the mundane affairs of life and and works it all out to bring his plan into operation. That's what's exciting. The miraculous is here and gone. The exciting thing is that God doesn't need to use the miraculous and he brings about what he wants to bring about anyway. It has been many years since I sunk that basket on the basketball court and realized then that there's really no such thing as luck. But I want you to know, on occasion, I still make incredible shots, just on occasion. And uh, there are still people who yell out, what luck? Boy, is he lucky. Open your eyes. But you know what? The difference is now I know how to respond to them. And I do. I respond to them by saying, just call it sovereign luck. Just sovereign luck. Just sovereign luck. You see, that's the way we live our lives. And that's what, what Esther has to say to us today. God is sovereign. There are no there are no events you need to fear. God is using everything. God's not sleeping. God's not resting. God has not taken himself out of your life. You say, my life is so boring to me. It's just not exciting. Listen, God is using those boring things to bring about his plan. And there are a lot of people who want the excitement and the thrill and the miraculous and all that. The exciting things that God doesn't need that. He's using my mundane life and your mundane life to accomplish his will. And when I study, and you study the book of Esther, I don't get excited about Esther. I don't get excited about Mordecai. I wish they were different. But what I get excited about is that here's a God, our God, who uses even man's sin to accomplish the good pleasure of his will. And that is what makes life 
thrilling because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know that God controls our tomorrows. And he controls our enemies and he controls the people who hate us and he controls the people who love us. And yet he won't violate their will, but he'll make sure that his will in the end is what's accomplished. Let's bow for closing prayer. I trust that in the bursting of some theological bubbles, you have had your spiritual eyes expanded, broadened. Your spiritual vision has taken on new dimensions. This is just the beginning of the book of Esther. Oh, and it's exciting. God is in control. God is ruling the universe. The hand of God in the glove of history. And you know, God's hand is in the glove of history in your life. I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to know that God's involved. God's going to use all things to work for his glory. We know, Romans 8, 28 says, that all things work together for good. One of the reasons we know that is because now we understand the book of Esther, don't we? Would you just thank the Lord that he's that kind of a God? That he really is sovereign? Even when things look dark, things look bleak, as they did to Esther and to Mordecai, we know by faith that God's sovereignly in charge. The hand of God is in the glove of history. You don't need to be afraid of international terrorism. You don't need to be afraid of communism. You don't need to be afraid of are we going to war with Gaddafi? We need to be interested in that, but not afraid. Because the hand of God is in the glove of history. He'll preserve his people. He'll build his church. He'll bring about the good pleasure of his will. Thank him for that and live in the light of that truth. Father, thank you for our study tonight. Thank you that it's so helpful to see your word so practical. It affects us, Lord, where we are. For you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You change not. You're still preserving Israel, and you're still faithful to your church. Lord, I pray that not only will these truths be heard, but that they'll be received, that you'll help us to live in the light of what we've heard tonight, to live with a new confidence in you, to live with a new understanding and a deeper understanding of your providence, and to live with a great joy because you're in control. Help us, Lord, not to just be academic students of the word, but may what has been said tonight penetrate our hearts and affect our lives for your glory. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God's hand is in the glove of history, shaping and managing events to bring about his plans. He uses both godly people and ungodly people, wise decisions and foolish impulses. Steve, some people don't want to believe God exercises that kind of control over history. They feel that he would not be truly good if he works through sin to accomplish his purposes. How do you respond to that kind of thinking? Well, I I certainly understand where they're coming from, but in light of what Scripture says, we have to accept that. For example, uh, God used uh, Judas Iscariot 
to bring about the the crucifixion, and yet God is not in any way responsible for what Judas did. There are lots of of examples like that in Scripture. So if people struggle with that, I think they have to recognize we may not understand how divine sovereignty and human responsibility works uh, together, but just because we don't understand how it works doesn't mean that we negate it and say it's not true. That's a great point. There are lots of things that we can't understand about God, and some things we will probably never understand. But that doesn't mean that we can just throw them out. If our God were so much like us that we could completely understand him and his methods, he would not be much of a God. Thank you, Steve. So the reason that the Bible emphasizes God's sovereignty in places such as in the story of Esther is to encourage us with the fact that nothing can thwart God's plans and purposes. Even wicked men with their evil schemes and plots end up working toward God's goals in history. We may not be able to trace precisely how God is using various things in our lives right now, but we can rest assured that He is. If you happen to miss either of the first two broadcasts in this series on Esther, you can still listen to them by logging on to our website and downloading them from our audio archive there. The address for the website is versebyverseradio.org. Or, if you want to listen to the entire sermon at once, without the interruption of separate broadcasts, you can give us a call here at Verse by Verse and order an audio CD of the sermon. If you call, please ask for the CD number 1101. You can also tell us that you want the CD sermon for today's date. The phone number to call and place your CD order is 727-329-0306. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.